0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes.
1: I am going to be teaching you a number of texts on a specific midah, specific character trait, um, as part of this Elul Cheshbon Hanefesh work. And as I understand uh, the work as I understand what this whole purpose of Elul is, uh, comes from a very famous passage from um, Rambam, Maimonides, where he writes in the laws of Chuva, awake, O sleeper, from your sleep. O slumbers, arouse yourselves from your slumbers. Examine your deeds, return in Chuva, and remember your creator. The whole purpose of Elul is to wake us up, assuming, of course, that we are sleepwalking, that we are walking through life without the full consciousness that we are capable of achieving. And what does it mean to walk through life with that full consciousness? It means to constantly be aware of our actions and how those actions impact others around us. And the purpose of the month of Elul is to prepare us for the intense work that we are supposed to engage in, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but you can't engage in that intense work unless you have done some pre-work. A number of years ago, I um, rode a century on my uh, bicycle. A century is a 100-mile bike ride, and I didn't wake up the morning of the century and say, today, I think I'm going to ride 100 miles. It actually took me um, about three days. No, it didn't take me three days. It took me about uh, two months of preparation in order to be able to know that I could complete the 100-mile ride. So during the summer before the 100-mile ride, I would ride 20 miles, 30 miles, 40 miles, 50 miles in order to build up The ability so that when I rode the 100 miles, not only was I able to do it, but when I was finished, I didn't feel completely wiped out, exhausted, and um, drained. So too with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We can't expect to just show up. um, Well, this year, we're not going to be showing up to services at synagogues, but we are hopefully going to be showing up to our Zoom services. We can't expect to show up and do the work that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur demands unless we do the pre-work in advance. And that is really what the month of Elul is all about. And it's easy to say pre-work, it's more complicated to say, what specifically is it that we need to do? How do we engage in cheshbon hanefesh, which is a searching of our souls, a uh, internal look at where we are, where we've been, and where we want to go, unless we can focus On very specific uh, things. So, I don't know what the other classes have been so far, but I did hear from Rabbi Schatz this morning that I am smack in the middle of this program. There have been 20 classes prior to me, and there's going to be 20 classes afterwards. Um, And I imagine that my colleagues who are teaching are going to be um, doing and have done similar things that I'm doing this morning, which is to look at one area in which we might explore in order to better understand how we can um, work on this specific midah to prepare ourselves, not just for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but for the uh, months that uh, follow Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So I'm going to share my screen. And the midah that I am going to be looking at is... Uh, The Midah of Anava Humility. I think I advertised it. So for those of you who are here, you should know that this is what you were um, in in store for today. Because if you read the introduction, you know that it's preparing our souls through the Midah of Anava and Humility let's jump into some learning. And before we begin learning, let's begin with a bracha for the study of Torah. So it's at the top part of your um, sheet. Can everybody read it, by the way? Is the type big enough or would you like me to make it bigger? If you would like me to, if it's good, just like put your thumb up and let me know that it's all good. Okay, excellent. So, Uh, praised are you lord our god ruler of the universe who sanctified us with the commandments and commanded us to engage in the study of torah this is what we jews do um, as a side of our living so uh, what is just a quick definition for those of you who may be uh, slightly unfamiliar with this term, although I'm guessing that everybody on this call is probably pretty familiar with Keshebona Nefesh. But ha- Moshe Haim Lutzato, who was an Italian exegete and a philosopher and a theologian who wrote a very famous book called Misilat Yesharim, which is a primary text for the study of Musar, of Jewish ethics, wrote in um, this book Misilat Yesharim. Although saintliness is latent in the character of every normal person. Yet without cultivation, it is sure to remain dormant. So what is he saying in this first sentence? What he's saying is that we all, each one of us, have this potential to be sadikim. We all have the potential to be chassidim. Um, And when I say a chassidim, I don't mean, you know, black hat and payout. I mean Hasidim is the pious ones, the ones who not pious in observance of a few particular mitzvot, perhaps like Shabbat and Kashrut, but pious in the sense that they are committed to fulfilling the underlying principle of the Torah, which is kamocha, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Each one of us, according to Lutzato, has that quality in us. Why is that? Why does he assume in this first sentence that each one of us has latent in our character um, the ability to be tzaddikim? Um That's not a rhetorical question. Um, that gives you all the opportunity to jump in. Renee, thank you so much for uh, taking the risk and being courageous and raising your hand. Just remind everybody that when you want to speak, you have to unmute yourself. It's a common um, disease of Zoom. I find <laughs> myself all the time speaking, having been muted, and forgetting to unmute myself.
0: So I'm, I'm thinking that um, part of that is related to the or tove and the Yetzirah that we have in us. And um, presumably, if the or Tov outweighs the Yetzirah, then it gives us the potential to... Be more of a righteous are they both, and uh, humble person.
1: Excellent, Renee. Thank you. That's right. So we are created, each one of us, with the inclinations to do good. Yetzir HaTov, which I often uh, like translated as um, the inclination to serve the other over the service of the self, whereas the Yetzir HaRa might be defined as uh, service of the self. And that in of itself is not a bad thing. That's why God gave us the Yetzir HaRa. But we have a tendency to... have that as the stronger inclination and drive within each of us, because it makes sense for us to want to take care of ourselves before taking care of others, because we need to survive in this world. And it could be a challenge to be able to survive in this world, especially in a world of limited resources. But we have that Hot tov, that good inclination, as Renate said, and that uh, good inclination is the spark that allows us um to experience righteousness. Ziggy, I saw your hand up. Did you want to add something to Renee's I,
2: I, I did, I did. Since we're created in God's image, uh by by inference, uh we should have the potential to act godly. I exactly. Mean, that's Very good. Right? <laughs>
1: Thank you. So together, those two points, I think, really highlight what um, uh, Chaim Lutzato is trying to say. Because we're all created with Selem Elohim in the image of God, we all have the potential to cultivate and act with that image of God. But he continues, bear in mind that such qualities of character as saintliness, fear and love of God, purity of heart are not so innate as to enable men to dispense with the effort needed to develop them. These traits are not so natural as being asleep or awake, being hungry or thirsty or experiencing any their physical want. Do you have to learn to wake up in the morning? Is that something that you need to teach yourself? Do you need to learn to eat when you are hungry or stop eating when you are full? Well, yes, for some people, there may be challenges around some of those things like sleeping and waking and eating and stopping to eat. But they're much more... Uh, inclinations that are natural for us. They flow simply from the fact that we are human and they're easy to do. Not so, saintliness, right? Saintliness or fair and love of God or purity of heart, these can only be developed by means of special effort. Though there are many obstacles to the cultivation of these traits, There are various ways of overcoming those obstacles. Now, he spends an entire book, um, Path of the Just, working, teaching us how to overcome the obstacles that prevent us from being more saintly. We're not going to be looking at that today. What we're going to be doing is focusing on one midah and figuring out how the cultivation of that midah, anava, humility, can perhaps lend us to find ways in which we can achieve that sense of saintliness, at least within the area of anava, on a more uh, regular basis. So what I want to do with you today is I want to look at this quality of anava through the lens of uh, uh, Jewish texts. Because when we look at the translation in, English humility, and I just looked up a bunch of different dictionary definitions, online, Webster's, whatever it was, and um, in summary, humility, which is often the Hebrew word anava translated into English, humility is translated as a modest or low view of one's importance, lowly or unpretentious. And I share that with you because I want us to contrast that English view of humility with the Jewish understanding of humility or anava. Because we're going to find over the next uh, 45 minutes that it's going to look very, very different than the English understanding of humility as lowly or unpretentious. Okay, I'm going to pause for a minute and just see if there are any questions that anybody has. Um, And um, Rabbi Schatz, will you help me? Because I only, you know, can see one screen and I can see that there's um, more than one screen. Um, So as we go through it, if you see people raising their hands, um, maybe you can interrupt me.
2: Yeah, Gal has a hand up. No, it was from previous, but I just want to make sure that I think it related to B'chirach of chupshit, the to choose to really do good or evil every day, and that's one of the beautiful things that God gave us to choose—the ability to make a choice for ourselves every day, to be righteous or to be evil, and that God did not create us righteous or evil, so we can make our own choice.
1: Thank you, Gal. Actually, that's a a really important point. Every moment of our life is a moment in which we choose to be awake or to be asleep. As Rambam said in the very beginning, I don't know if you were here when I gave that quick introduction. What does it mean to be awake? It means to be conscious of the fact that we can either act in Tov or act in Ra. And the person who is awake is the one who is constantly aware that every action is a choice between being in ha or HaRa or or HaTov. Um, okay, so let's jump in. Um, I, I also noticed as I was screening through that um, Freddie Spiegel is with us. And I just wanna do a quick shout out to Freddie um, because um, Freddie and I have a particularly special relationship because her brother uh, was my mentor my primary mentor as a rabbi. I had the distinct honor and privilege of working with Rabbi Joel Zaman for seven years in Baltimore. And I would not be the rabbi that I am without the wisdom and learning that I gained from Rabbi Zaman. And that wisdom of Rabbi Zaman's um, carries through to um, his family and is expressed constantly in Freddie Spiegel along with uh, the other sibling, Gail Dorf. So, Freddie, it's nice uh, to be able to learn with you this morning.
0: It's wonderful to be with you, Richard, and thank you for those nice words about my brother, who we all miss very much every
1: day. Every day, I think about him and miss him.
0: To tell your congregants he felt
1: really the same about you you were the rabbi's son, (laughs) that uh, his own son, he was only a doctor. (laughs) Well. Thank you for that. You're bringing tears to my eyes. So, okay. So we're going to jump into the models of Anava through our tradition. Um, Always keeping in mind the the English definition, right, the dictionary definition of humility, a modest or low view of one's importance, lowly and unpretentious. And I want to start with Avraham, because where better to start than in the beginning of the Torah with Avraham Avinu. And so the very first passage that I want to look at with you, Genesis 22, um, verse 1, you may know the context of this. This is, of course, after the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right when God is challenging Abraham to bring forth his son Isaac, um, it's the story of the Akedah, which we're going to be reading in a few weeks during the uh, High Holy Days. So, Now, we don't have a lot of time to get into the whole verse and ask the question, what is the nature of the test and what is the test? But I think... Um, Very quickly, um, without a due explanation, the first test happens just in this very first sentence, in this very first verse. Sometime afterwards, God put Abraham to a test, and he said to him, Abraham, and he answered, here I am. To me, the very first part of the test is right here, the response by Abraham. Do you remember the first time that God calls out to humanity, What's the very first moment that God calls to uh, human beings? For those in my congregation, if you're listening to the LOL videos, you may have just listened to um, my LO video where I mentioned that. What's the call?
0: Ayeka.
1: Ayeka, exactly. When Adam and Eve are in the garden and they eat from the fruit of the tree and they hide when they hear the sound of God. And God says to them, Ayeka, where are you? And they're hiding because they're shamed. They're embarrassed. They know they did something wrong and they don't want to face the consequences of um, what they did wrong. And so they do not respond, Ayeka. I mean do they not excuse me they do not respond hinani they hide so the call to god is one of hinani right so that's the first i think aspect of this test that avraham passes rashi Also understanding that word hineni is rather significant to everything that happens through the rest of the story and really indicative of the kind of person that Abraham was and the kind of individuals that we want to be in this world if our biblical characters become uh, mashelim, role models, dugmaot, for each one of us. So what does Rashi say? Rashi says, here I am, hineni, such is the answer of the pious, the chassidim an expression of humility and alacrity. So Rashi offers two definitions of this word, hineni. Two humility and alacrity. We're not going to look at alacrity today, zrizut, although we could spend a whole other hour plus on that middha of, of zrizut. I want to look at this middha of humility. So, so my question, of course, is to all of you, what is the connection between Hineni, here I am. And Rashi's under <clears throat> standing of that as humility. I'll ask it again, right? Rashi says, Hineni, the answer, the call to God's Abraham is an expression of humility. How is answering a call an expression of humility? Susan.
2: Yeah, it, it means... To me, it means I'm listening, I'm here, um, I'm paying attention to you, not to myself. That in oh. a way, it could be humility.
1: Okay, so here we go back to what Gal referred to earlier and what Renee talked about, the notion of Yetzirah HaRa and Yetzir HaTov. When we are in our raw energy, we cannot hear the call of the other. When we are in our tov energy, right? When our nefesh is open and our neshama is open to express itself fully and completely to the other person, then we are in our tov energy and that's where we can respond to the call of the other person, whatever that call is. Excellent. Other thoughts as this connection between Humility. So in other words, Susan, what is, how would you define humility according to your um, explained definition? Humility is?
2: An awareness of something outside myself.
1: Great. Okay. So the humble person is the one who is able to separate his or her own needs in order to be able to hear the call of the other person around them. To be a humble person is to say, it's not only about me. It's not always about me. It is about listening to the call out there, the ayaka of anybody and everyone around me, and knowing whether or not I can respond. Now, there are plenty of times where we can't respond to that call. Think about any number of moments in your life where you're exhausted, where you're tired, where you're spent, where you're drained, where you cannot say hineni. But what do we do in those moments? What we don't do is like Adam and Eve. We don't run and hide. What do we say to the person? We say, I hear your call and I cannot respond at this moment. At this moment, I cannot serve you the way you are asking me to serve you. I hope soon I will be able to, but right now I can't, right? That's very different than ignoring the call. It's very different than making excuses to ignore the call. It's very different than rationalizing. I didn't really hear the call. I didn't want to hear the call. I didn't understand the call. You didn't make the call clear. If you had said it differently, I would have been able to hear it. No, it's not about any of those things. It's about saying, I hear and I can't serve at this moment. I cannot respond, Hinani. And that's okay. We don't always have to respond, Hinani, but we have to know enough. We have to be conscious, as Gall said, to know whether or not we are um, actually able to say Hinani or not and be truthful to the other person. Any other comments that people have on this connection between uh, the Hineni and humility? Claudia, yes. And then Renee.
2: I was just going to say, it gives, uh, puts a little pressure to answer your cell phone every time it calls.
1: Okay. Beautiful. So the Ayeka, I'm so glad you said that Claudia. The Ayeka doesn't have to be an external Ayeka, right? The Ayeka oftentimes can be an internal Ayeka. It may be the call of the Tzalem Elohim within us. It may be the call of godliness that resides in each one of us, challenging us to hear it and respond in the way that God responds in this world. Um, Renee?
0: And I think part of it also is from just from what we've been learning all this week is acknowledging those things that we are able to do, that we have as strengths, um, and those things that we can't. I mean, no one is an expert on everything. So knowing when we can help based on what we know and what we, when we can't.
1: Exactly. It's an honest reflection of what we are capable of doing, when we are capable of, and what we're not capable of doing. And letting people know that we cannot serve them in the way in which they need to be served. They may, may need, you know, other people um, to help them. Great. All right, right. Um, let's. so I have a couple questions that you can meditate on. Um, Rabbi Schatz told me that when we're done with this, um, I'm going to send her my source sheet. She is going to um, place it somewhere. She'll explain that all to you before the end of the class. Mm-hmm. And then you can reference this study sheet afterwards to spend more time thinking about each one of these sources as we go through them. And so the question that you can meditate on during the month of Elul is, What is a Hineni moment that you can remember? When didn't you say Hineni and should or could have? And what is the one thing you can do to live with more Anava in the context of Hineni? So those are a couple of questions that you may want to um, meditate on over the course of the next days. So we're going to move from Avraham's Hineni to Moshe Rabbeinu's hineni. Moshe Rabbeinu's hineni, whereas Avraham's was the anavah of service, this anavah is the anavah of forbearance. I didn't mean hineni, I mean anavah, the anavah of forbearance. So if you look at the text, um, the key in this text, when Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moshe Um, the Cushite woman, right, his uh, wife, whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman, they said, is the Holy One indeed spoken only with us? Has God not spoken also with us? And the Holy One heard it. And then, very interesting, the verse ends, the text ends, the ha'ish moshe anav me'od, mikol ha'adam asher Adama. He was more humble, than any man on the face of the earth. So I want to explore this idea of anavah, because I think this idea of anavah is very different than this idea of anavah here. A modest or low view of one's importance, lowly and unpretentious. Would you say that Moshe was lowly and unpretentious? Would you describe Moshe Rabbeinu in that manner? Of course not. Right? Moshe who challenged Pharaoh, who challenged God... Twice, right, Moshe was not lowly and unpretentious. So the question is, what is the nature of Moshe's anava that leads the Torah to say of all of the character traits that could have defined Moshe Rabenu, the Torah has chosen this one quality, anava, to be the primary quality that the Torah is going to use to express Moshe's character. What is the nature of that anavah? So again, we turn to our wonderful um, guide and sage Rashi to help us understand the biblical text. He says anav, lo, and a savlan. So he connects lo and savlan together. Savlan in Hebrew comes from the Hebrew root samech bet lamed, sevel. Now, we know Sevil as a whole other midah. What is the midah of Sevil or Savlanut? Patience. Patience, Patience exactly. Patience, but again... Like uh, in Hebrew, when you translate Hebrew words into English, they oftentimes lose the power of what the Hebrew is conveying. So while humility is translated for anava, and it's not exactly what anava is, so too patience is usually the ver- word that's used to explain savlanut, but it's not exactly savlanut. What is saval, samach bet lamed in Hebrew?
2: Suffering.
1: Say that again, Gal? Suffering. To suffer, very good. So, savlanut is to endure. That's why I translated it here as forbearance. right? Forbearance, to withstand a heavy burden, to carry a certain amount of pain, internal or external pain, and be okay with that. What is the suffering that Moshe is enduring? In this text, how might you respond if your brother and sister insulted you the way that Miriam and Aaron insulted Moshe? When somebody insults you, what is your typical first response?
0: To defend yourself.
1: Yes, the very first response usually is, that's not true. No, I didn't. How can you say that? what are you talking about? Right? We defend ourselves. We're very quick. And then one, when, not only do we defend ourselves, but what's the next thing we often do after we defend ourselves. We I, yeah, yeah, Susan,
0: we walk away, we get angry and we just walk away.
1: Um, okay. Sometimes we definitely get angry and we walk away. Um, I don't think that's the more common response, though. I think the more common response is... Accuse someone else. Exactly. We attack back. When we have been insulted, when we have been hurt, when we feel, right, the attack, we usually attack back. Now, that is, it's true, Susan, that sometimes, you know, if we can maintain, we can hold our anger in, we can walk away But usually the comments that come right out of our mouth is one of, how dare you? And then we jump down the throat of another person. What was Moshe's response to the insult that Miriam and Aaron um, uh, presented to him? Did he attack them? Did he walk away in anger? What did he do? It's a remarkable moment, a remarkable moment for all of us. In the moment he was insulted, he loved even more. He opened his heart in a greater amount of compassion towards his brother and sister than he even had before. And the first words out of his mouth in direction to Miriam were what? el na which means God, please heal my sister. Here you have a person who was shamed and insulted in front of an entire community and his response is that of a savlan, to endure the pain of the insult and respond in loving kindness, in chesed, by offering prayers of healing on behalf of Miriam's uh, skin disease. So I asked the questions and I already answered them. How does Moshe's response reflect anava as you understand it? What do you think is the connection between anava and forbearance? But the question for you to think about is when have you had an easy time expressing such anava or a difficult time, right? The, The text invites us to think about a moment recently when we have been insulted by somebody and how have we responded? Have we responded in anger? Have we responded by attacking back? Have we responded by trying to defend ourselves? Have we responded by offering loving prayer to the individual who has attacked us? Is that the natural first response that we offer in such a situation? Probably not, because we're not Moshe Rabenu. And yet, Moshe's in the Torah to remind us that we can strive to be like Moshe. As flawed as Moshe is at times, right, as flawed as Avraham was at times, our biblical characters exist in order to uh, remind us that we can model their behaviors, that we can achieve the states that they have also been able to achieve. So we have two definitions of anava so far. The first definition of anava is the uh, anava of service, that of Avraham, to hear the call of the other in need. And by the way, what's the connection between the first one and the second one? forbearance in the face of insult. How does this one tie into the first example of um, Avraham's Anava of Hineni? Because I do believe they are related.
0: They both relate to
1: hearing. Great. And what's the difference between the second hearing and the first hearing? Or maybe not the difference. What's the nature of those two hearings?
2: It's not just hearing in a
0: physical, in a like... Biological, you know, anatomy kind of hearing, but it, a true hearing of and what is the definition and hearing and taking
1: it in. Great, thank you, Renee. What's the definition of hearing? What's the Hebrew word for hearing? Lishma. Lishma. And what does it mean, lishma, to hear? Does it mean to hear with our ear? No, Charlene, shaking her head. Of course not. It means to hear with our heart. It means to hear with our intellect. It means to understand. It means to know that behind the words there's something else that's going on. When somebody calls out to us in a positive manner, like the first example of God calling to Avraham, we may be more open to hearing what it is that person is saying. When somebody calls out to us in the second example, like Miriam and Aaron insulting Moshe, it's still a call. They're still calling Ayeka but they're not able to do it in a healthy way. They're filled with so much anger and frustration and sadness and disappointment that it comes out as an insult. The question is, can we, the person of Anava, hear in that insult the call Ayaka and say, this person is in pain and the insult that they're directing at me may not, in fact, be about me. Now, it may be that I may have done something wrong. And if I did something wrong, I need to respond hinani. But it may be that I did not do anything wrong, and this person is in pain, and it's for me to hear and understand and try to respond in a loving, gentle, compassionate, kind way in order to create a sense of healing. Claudia.
2: Um, So this kind of reminds me of something we say in the Oath of Maimonides in medicine that the doctor always says, let me always see a creature in pain. So if you have a patient in front of you, for example, who isn't on their best behavior, they're not as respectful, they're not as kind as they might always be, it, it kind of prepares you not to react and to look at the person's situation first before responding to them.
1: Wonderful. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, so we've done two um, texts that help us to fill out the picture of this Midah of Anavah. Let's take a look. We're going to move from the Torah to the Talmud. Uh, And this text is probably one that um, many of you, if not all of you, are quite familiar with. Here, the Anavah is again about listening but I add to that the, the quality of learning, not just passive listening. And it comes from uh, Pirkei Avot, from the Mishnah um, of Avot, Ben Zoma Omer Ezuhu Hacham Halomed Mikol Ha'adam which means, right, Benzoma asked the question, who is wise? And generally speaking, when I teach this text, um, the whole passage of Benzoma's four questions to seventh graders, which I do um, every year, I, before I give them the answer to each of these questions, I ask them to come up with the answers themselves of what they would say is the definition of a wise person. And you can imagine what they say. They say a wise person is somebody who knows everything. Because that is, right, our um, probably pop culture definition of who is wise. But we Jews know that there is something much deeper than um, in terms of the definition of wisdom. So according to Benzoma, wisdom is not about knowing, uh, it's not about how much you know. It's about recognizing how much you don't know and your willingness to learn from other people. Now, I, where is the anava? Connected. Where is the word Anava connected to Benzoma? So, for that, I'm adding to this text Rabbi Menachem Mendeleffen of Satnov, who wrote a very uh, well known small book called Cheshbon HaNefesh. And he borrowed in that book Benjamin Franklin's 18 Midot, that Benjamin Franklin wrote about on 18 qualities that a person, a human being, should work on throughout a year. In order to be able, well, Benjamin Franklin didn't use the word tzaddik in order to become a tzaddik, but um, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Lefen of Satnav definitely did. He argues that these qualities that Benjamin Franklin brought forth, if we study them on an annual basis, 18 midot mitzv- four times during the year, then we will indeed achieve the kind of saintliness that Moshe Chaim Lutzato was talking about in Mesila Yasharim and Path of the Just. And so he says in his chapter, An Anava, in, in the context of Ben Zoma's comment, always seek to learn wisdom from every man to recognize your failings and correct them. In doing so, you will learn to stop thinking about your virtues and you will take your mind off your friend's faults. What's the challenge of this aspect of anava for you? How does this anava uh, play out in your life? Where do you find it difficult? And where do you find it easy? Is it easy to listen and learn from all people? Can you think of people in your life, and I would say particularly your closest others, that circle of members of your family, for example, where you may have a hard time listening and learning from them?
0: It comes up in politics today without going into it further. Um, you know listening to someone who has a different um, view than you do and the frustrating part is when they you know you know how to overcome um, my frustrate you know my my own frustration you know I need to be more like Moses and be um, uh, understanding of uh, of what what they are saying
1: Okay, great. So Ruthann, you you pointed on a, a very important quality of this aspect of Anava. And that is to say that people have different truths. People live different stories. And while I understand that my story and my truth is right for me, it doesn't mean that it's right for somebody else. And in order to be in relationship with another person, I have to understand their story. I have to understand their truth. I may not agree with it, and nowhere in this definition of anava does it say, I have to agree, I have to be swayed, I have to be convinced of the other. But it does say I need to learn from the other person. It does need to say I need to take the time to understand where is that other person coming from? Why does that other person feel the way he or she feels? What is that other person's experiences of life that may have led them to the positions that they are currently taking? And as you said, Ruthann, that's something that is sorely lacking in today's conversations. Right? Today, we don't listen openly to people that we disagree with. We only listen to people with whom we agree. And that is not the quality of anava that Ben Zoma or Rabbi Menachem Mendel is trying to teach here. The quality of anava they're trying to say is go out there and seek to understand those with whom you disagree with. Open yourself up to try to Understand and empathize with another person, even if it doesn't mean you're going to be swayed to that person's position, right? This is the quality that is most lacking in political debate today. This is the quality of anava that is so essential to a healthy democracy, What other examples? So Ruthann pointed out the political dimensions of this quality of anava. Are there others on an interpersonal level? Um, Debbie Cohen.
2: Thank you. Um, So I actually encountered this just the other day um, where I actually think of myself as an open person and someone with the ability to listen And have compassion for where the person comes from. But when the person approaches me in a way that is, let's say, condescending or demeaning or arrogant, I have a really, really hard time
0: in not, um, putting my, sort of my back up against the wall
2: and, uh, approaching them in a, in a way that is not humble.
1: For sure. And I think that's a pretty common, I would imagine, uh, uh, description of how many of us feel when, when approached by that kind of individual. And that's why the first two definitions, the definition that Avraham Avinu gives us and Moshe Rabbeinu gives us might be able to help us. right? The condescension that is coming from the other person, which we may feel, in some way, as an insult to our, to us, can we be more loving in that instance? Can we respond hineni, right, even in the face of a person who calls us in all of the wrong ways? And I'm not saying that that's an easy thing to do. Very it's a hard. Very, very <laughs> hard thing to do, but. This month of Elul is to challenge us to reach deep inside. If indeed we want to be the kind of saintly person that Moshe Chaim Lutzato challenged us to be and said is latent within each one of us, then it's those particular individuals who cause us to, you know, go back, who who, who cringe in anger are the ones that we most have to express anava towards. Um, Audrey.
0: Hi. Um, You may have heard that um, the anti-Semitic group Goyim TV put a banner on the 405, hanging over the 405 in Inglewood that said uh, Jews want a race war. And so I'm wondering how this works when we deal with that kind of in your face, hatred, okay, that seeks to paint an entire group or community in a certain way and is dangerous. So I can understand these people are maybe unbalanced, they may be, you know, I can understand all that. But accepting that is a different story. And I know that we encounter that individually, not anti-Semitism, but the kinds of things you're talking about. Okay, where we can understand where people are coming from, but we don't have to necessarily accept that into our life. So For where sure. is the great, Abba, you know in it's, there?
1: It's a great question. So I'm going to answer it in two ways. First of all, the work of Cheshbonah Nefish is primarily an internal work that in, that invites us to think about the relationships- of individuals that we are close to and ways in which we can improve those relationships. It also invites us to take a look at a midah like anava and ask ourselves, when are we practicing it and when are we not practicing it and when should we, when shouldn't we be? There is, as I said, in the very beginning of the class, a legitimacy to our Yetzir Hara. The yetzer Hara is the part of the inclination, the part of um, the self that is all about survival Right there's a legitimacy to each one of us being here and taking care of ourselves and protecting ourselves, and when there are threats against us as individuals or as a people, we need to respond to those threats. Anava is not about being weak or being meek. That's why I I highlighted the the uh, English definition of humility letting us know that that's not the Jewish definition of anavah. Moshe stood before Pharaoh and argued against the injustice that Pharaoh was um, acting out towards the Jewish people. And yet Moshe was a humble person. So <clears throat> anavah would equally say to us that we need to stand up to the enemies and the bullies and the anti-Semites, who are there who want to destroy us or hurt us or cause us pain and fight with everything that we have to bring justice into this world. Anava does not tell us that we should turn our back on those moments where we need to stand up and fight injustice. Yeah, right
2: shots. I was just going to add that I also think that this reminds us, and it brings us back to this idea of hineni as well, that that sometimes we will be in relationship with people who teach us how to not be, right? So I had a teacher in high school who pushed all of my buttons, and um, and it was a class that I really wanted to take, and so I stuck with it for all four years. And any time that I had difficulty in the class, my mom would always say, just recognize how when you become a teacher, you will not be like that teacher. And that too is learning, but you have to be humble about the fact that the person is is doing what you're in the room to be receiving and that you can learn from that experience. It doesn't have to be that you're learning something positive. It could be that you're learning how to how to take that information and then change your own Future, Your own possibilities. Um, But you have to first be able to say hineni, because if you're going to be defensive and you're going to be putting up all those boundaries around yourself, assuming that it's going to be a terrible experience, you'll never learn anything from what you're what you're receiving.
1: Excellent. I'm so glad you not only gave that example, but you brought your mom into the um, conversation because I forgot in my introduction um, (laughs) to my relationship to Rabbi Schatz. And I mentioned my relationship to her father. I failed to say that her mother, uh, and Sandy Goodglick's daughter was one of my teachers in religious school, was the assistant in the classroom. So when I was about six or seven years old, she was also involved in my life. So it's a very small world here. Um, the last example, I think that, you know, we want to, or another example that we want to think about with, with regard to Benzoma is um, those interpersonal relationships, especially um, you know, children, right? If we have children and we sometimes think that we know what's best. And when you think about raising children when they're very, very little and they're having a temper tantrum and you can't understand what's going on in their heads and only later do you realize um, that there was something that that you were unaware of that caused them to react the way they reacted when you were so insistent on... Um, because for whatever reason, you needed them to get in the car and put their shoes on in order to get to school on time. And you were pushing them and forcing them and they were having a temper tantrum because they didn't want to get in the car. And only later on, do you realize that maybe they didn't want to go to school because there's a bully that has been hurting them in their kindergarten class. And you were unaware of that. So we often leap to conclusions, make assumptions in relationships to other people where we think we know better that our truth is the truth. Um, and only later on do we discover that there is a whole story that we didn't know in the same way that Ruth Ann talked about it on a um, geopolitical level, so too on an interpersonal level with members of our family. How do we listen in such a way that allows us to really learn what's going on with the other person that's causing them to react or behave in a manner that is not becoming. So that's um, Ben Zoma and Rabbi Menachem Mendelefin of Satinoff's definition, the Anava of listening and learning. We have one last um, definition of uh, Anava and it's 1157, which means we're not going to be able to get to it. But it is the Anava of knowing your place. And it begins with Brachot Rabbi Helbo. And then there is Rabbi um, M- Mika Berger and um, Alan Morinus. And so I'm just going to quickly read these so that you can see what the intention of this kind of Anava is. Rabbi Helbo says in the name of Rabbi Chuna, anyone who sets a particular place for him or herself to pray in the synagogue, the God of Abraham stands in his or her aid. And when she or he dies, people say of him or her, this was a humble person. So what is the nature of Rabbi Helbo's Anava of knowing your place? Well, succinctly, Alan Moranis, who wrote a wonderful book, Everyday Holiness, and really brought Musar study to the 21st century um, in that book and in all sorts of other um, ways, defines Rabbi Helbo's statement as, no more than my space, no less than my place. I am sure you have um, all been in situations where people hog the space, And you may have found at times that you are One of those space hogs. You know, people who are sitting in a classroom are the ones that always have to be heard and always have to answer a question. Or you're sitting around a table in a conversation at a Shabbos dinner, and there's one person who's dominating the conversation over the everybody else who's there. And you say to yourself, What is going on with that person? Why do they need to be dominating? Or maybe you find out that you're the one later on who is dominating that conversation. So This last expression of anava is the one that says, how much space do I need to take in this world? And how much space do I need to give in this world? There is a right space that is mine. As Rabbi Helbo is teaching, right? There is a makom kavua for me in the synagogue. That makom kavua is mine. And because it's mine, I know that another person's space is, is rightly his or hers. And I won't take that space because I know that's their space. So how do I live in harmony, taking up my space, giving allowance to others their space, and being in a harmonious relationship with people so that we each take up the right amount of space that is justifiably right for us? That's this last definition of um, Anava. I'm sorry we, you know, don't have more time to, uh, you know, analyze it, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn it over to Rabbi Schatz in a minute, and uh, she will explain to all of you where you can get the sources. Um, I do want to thank all of you for being present this morning to our class in Cheshbon HaNefesh, and hope that you have a little bit more understanding of the Midah of Anava as a way to achieve saintliness so that the work that you do for the month of Elul and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, at least in this Midah of Anava, can be directed, clear, and understood in terms of where you need to go in the relationships that you have with the people whom you love.
2: Thank you so much, Rabbi cameras This was such a thoughtful presentation and one that as we are closing out the Midah of Anavah, of humility, and working our way into the next uh, Midah of Chesed, that this last text is actually a really beautiful one to bridge the two because for, for us to know how to be people who provide chesed into the world, we need to know how much space to take up and how much space to also contract and listen to what others need.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts.